Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of Midweek Metagame. I'm your irregular host, Yellow Hat, and I'm joined by my one regular co-host, Patrick. Gab, how are you going? I don't feel like I'm a regular regular host at this point in time. It's been a sporadic couple of weeks, but I'm here today and Harry's not, so I get to claim regular co-host status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Harry cannot be with us today. He has a, a pretty big essay and needed to take the time off work. So it'll be me and Pat. But uh, before we get into the podcast, I'd like to shout out our sponsor, Card Market. For those of you who don't know, Card Market is a platform where you can buy cards and sell cards. It's probably the the, the best way the, to sell your cards to get full value, and um, you know where you can get the best prices too. So that's our sponsor, and uh, of course, our content will always be free. But if you want to support us, you can do so at Patreon.com/slash/MetaGame. Yeah. You're missing it well, 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 but that well, was pretty I was going to do it, but then I was thinking, like, it's not quite the... How does he transition into all of that? Anyways. He kind of gives us... He goes, well, 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 we've all been playing a lot of Magic, which is a complete lie half the time. And then he... Um, yeah, and then he gives a kind of synopsis of what the episode is going to be about. Also, he likes to remind people that there's timestamps in the description of the episode, which I'm sure will happen at some point. And he likes to point out that uh, I believe card market is not just for magic, it's also for Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh! whatever. So, yeah, between the two of us, we've managed to get through the intro, all right, I think. Yeah, so hey. I, I, I'm, I'm, can, I take, can I take over? To, can I take over the introduction of the, of the first segment, though, Gab? You've won the modern challenge again, very surprising. Well, I was going to go with a well, well, well. Okay. Another weekend, another challenge win. <laughs> <laughs> you can yourself. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Pat yourself in the back this time. That's great. Yeah. So you won the modern challenge, the Saturday challenge, right? Yeah. Saturday, I was not in the mood to play Murktide again. I had a feeling the meta was becoming a little hostile, you know, getting getting hit by these run of fouls and whatnot. So... Uh, I decided to go back to to my pet deck in, in the format, Living End. I really like this deck. It's really strong. And I figured it would give me time to uh, jam some limited in between rounds, actually. Because I was debating, should I play, should I just play some, some drafts, you know, start to get a little practice for worlds, or should I give the people what they want and play the modern challenge? So I was like, you know, why not both? And uh, when was living in, and it just uh, it worked like a charm. I uh, yeah, I kind of you know things things went my way. I played mostly well. I didn't get punished the, the few times that I messed up, and um, yeah, ended up uh, winning the whole thing. I only lost to Canister. In I think in round seven, I think we we're both six, six and zero, oh, pretty cool. Either five and zero oh or six and zero. Oh. I think it was the last round, and we we're both streaming. I think there was four streamers who made top eight. Uh, Spike made top eight was his uh, take uh, on Phoenix. It's just guy Phoenix was faithful mending. Spider Space made top eight was his Esper Reanimator build, and I believe he might not 
not have been streaming. I'm not too sure. Anyways, it was a it was probably pretty cool a pretty cool day for people who like to watch modern on on Twitch because um, you know all the all the streamers doing well and um, I was able to dodge canister in the top eight. He got uh, he got got by torpor orb in the quarters, uh, which which was you know. I mean, I'm always rooting for Canister, but also I was not too disappointed not to have to play against him. You know, he he has a bunch of endurance in his deck. That's so tough. That card's so tough to beat. Um, when it's just endurance, it's okay. But when it's it's the plus other stuff, it adds up. Yeah, it's a very time raveler. Endurance in the main, or endurance in the sideboard, at the very least. Yeah, on paper, it should be a good matchup. You like, you know, your living death deck versus a deck that's just all creatures, but. There are a couple of cards that just make your life living hell, particularly in game one. Yeah, they have uh, they have solitude. They have um, not only do they have solitude and fury to kind of counteract your living ends, but they can also just untap play on after a creature. And if you don't have a great living end, a great board, it's just not going to be enough. Great. Yeah, they can really they can really just like kill three creatures really fast between solitude and ephemerate and fury. You know, they can keep pace on board with Omnath. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be a big living end, which gives them time to find a fairy. And so all little, all your threads come unraveled. Yeah, exactly. So th this matchup is is really scary. Uh, I'm not too sure there's much you can do besides just rely on the, the raw power of the deck. Just, you know, hope you have these, these perfect draws where you just have a bunch of cyclers and a couple free spells. Uh, after sideboard, you need to hope to have subtlety for their endurance, or maybe grief it early, you know, on turn one, and hope they don't draw another one in the meantime. So um, it's really a matchup for subtlety. It's like I, I see them in your sideboard a lot, and I keep wondering when they come in. And obviously, elementals is the big answer, is the big, the big, you know, the the main deck that you would bring them against. Where else do you bring in subtlety? Yeah, originally Salty was mostly for Titan decks, but Titan decks are basically non-existent right now. I even liked them in the main at some point. I just wanted, you know, almost more free spells, more than the four force of negation for grief. And I felt like Salty was always solid in every matchup. And it was not about the specific effect, it was just about having even better outset getting getting these nut draws, you know, the the ideal two free spells into turn free living in while having cycled a bunch of creatures. And while four force four grief might sound like a lot, if you think about, you know, seeing the top top what, twelve cards of your deck, that's that's not you know, that's less than two on average. So um, yeah, also just a blue card space for pitch to force of negation. And I wasn't always super high on Brazen Bar, so it was, you know, it, it, the, the, the deck hasn't changed much as far as I'm concerned. It's these these last few slots, you know, the last few couple cycler cards, whether you should play four Wake of Waves, uh, whether you should play four Force of Negation, how many Brazen Bars. Um, who knows, maybe that'll be a spot in, maybe, maybe the Greaves are not mandatory, and uh, should you play 18 lands or 19 lands? Yeah. The Waker of Waves is an interesting card because it's like it's it's obviously really clunky, but on the Sunday, uh, I mean, just to jump ahead a little bit, on the Sunday challenge you play, wind up playing four Waker of Waves and no uh, monstrous Caravid. Do you like the Waker like in particular kind of post board configurations, or is it a card that comes out a lot and is just really good in game one? W where's its power really lie? 
you just ideally want to draw exactly one, I guess. So, sometimes two is okay. It's, um, you know, the downside is that it's harder to keep one lander, so which are going to be doing a lot with this deck. And uh, the more weight carrier in your opening hand, the, the trickier it is to keep one landers. It is, it is really good to cycle on turn two. There's not, you know, it makes it so that it's it's like more consistent. It's it's hard to. Hmm. It can make your draws more consistent, but it can also make them a little clunkier, because you know ideally you want to cycle twice on on turn two or cycle a waker. Um, so so waker does does the job just with one card. So it's it's easier to have a good turn two if you draw a waker, but it's also slightly worse if you draw too many wakers. So um, okay, I, I, I kind of understand that logic. It just seems to me that wake is like good in your um wake wake is at its best in your kind of mana heavy draws, whereas you know obviously one mana cycle is let you keep more kind of speculative hands, whereas wake is kind of you know, digs a little bit deeper. Let's lets you use your use your mana for a slightly more powerful effect if you've got a little bit more mana to spare. You know, you're yeah. definitely going to hit land too. It also seems really important to me in the mirror, which is one of the strangest and most bizarre matches that I've ever witnessed in modern play yes. out. It's yes. almost like lantern mirror esque in how it goes because like no one wants to do anything, but wake is really important in the mirror. I think. Yeah, number one thing in the mirror is to have the biggest graveyard. You know, in game one, as long as you have the biggest graveyard, they can't cast Living End. And then once once you get that secured, you just start casting your creature. So ideally, you want to draw a ton of cyclers and then start hard casting uh, your creator of mysteries. Maybe maybe draw that sunken rune and and cast some some griefs. Uh, brazen bars can also apply some pressure, so it's it's that's weird balance. But at the end of the day, I really like this deck. It's powerful, but you don't always have. A, there's not always a ton of play to it. There's the timing, you know, timing on grief. There's the sequencing, the, the cycling sequencing, and the little, you know, uh, should I fetch right away? Should I cycle on my turn? Do I need to draw grief on turn one, or do I want to give them less info? And cycle at the end of their turn. You know these little things—they they add up over a course of a tournament. Um, right, and the mirror—not sure. There's a ton, ton of play. It's it might, yeah, uh, yeah. You're looking for a note. If you're if you know that you're playing them in the mirror match, you're definitely looking for a hand with a lot of cycling. You know the the payoff, the the actual outburst and Charlotte sends don't really matter as much. Yeah, it's just a threat of having a big graveyard. It doesn't really matter if you're actually going to utilize it at any point in time because it just prevents them from casting theirs. Yeah, and then after sideboard, you know, both players should get access to endurance and fairy macabre, that kind of stuff. So that gets all trickier. I think I played the mirror once actually um, on Saturday or once over the weekend because I also played the deck on Sunday. It didn't go as well. Still went five and two, but. Uh, yeah, I think I maybe played the, the mirror round one of, of Saturday and that lost sounds it. right to me. I, yeah. I, I was watching early on and I feel like that that I, I feel like I just tuned in to watch the awkward mirror and it's like okay, all right. I don't yeah. know what's going on here. 
I'll ask him one. I think I just probably sideboarded uh, out a lot of uh, fat to guess. I, I boarded out some living ends and a bunch of cascade cards. Because you, think you probably don't even need more than one living end in that matchup, really. Yeah, maybe maybe you leave in two because you're less like this way you're less likely to draw both, and you you still want that option to punish him at some point or to clear the board. But uh, yeah, you, you turn almost more into into a a value deck, which which happens in in other matchups, but maybe more so in in the mirror match. Yeah, I, I mean. So I've been obviously you know playing playing blue red Merktide you know almost exclusively for this format and I've I felt that this living in matchup kind of I initially I thought it was quite good but, but over the last couple of weeks I've been losing it again and it's surprising it's not, maybe no, it's not so surprising to me that you kind of had success with with living in when blue red's kind of been on the upswing again recently and it's, to me it seems that this is the way that uh, the way that people are targeting targeting this deck is like not particularly effective at the moment like the blue red decks are kind of on relics of progenitus like people are shaving graveyard hey there's less chalice of the voids less void mirrors all this sort of like really targeted hate against the cascade decks and so it's just time for time for time for living in to go again and what was once you know i pr- felt like a pretty good matchup for blue red murktide i just haven't been winning over the last couple of weeks yeah honestly we're more part of the the reason, right? I know I started trimming these these chalices, these void mirrors, kept in a few relics, figured that would that'd be enough in what used to be a good matchup against Living In. And I also I also lost Living In last time uh, I played the matchup from the Merc type side. And uh, yeah, it's just not not a good matchup if you don't have these these chalices and these void mirrors that you can protect with your counter spells. I remember at first. Uh, when I played the Living End deck, I thought Blue Red was my worst matchup. They had, uh, you know, I felt like game one was decent. They had the six-ish counter spells, and obviously no no main like graveyard hit or chalice. But after sideboard, they I think the stock sideboard at the time was two chalice and two void mirror. I want to say yeah, maybe something like that. maybe like three three of those cards in in kind of in total or something like that. But then yeah. it also is like Soul Guide Lanterns and and Fluster Storms or whatnot. Yeah, they would go up to eight to ten counter spells. I don't think they had uh, any graveyard hit, any lanterns or or relics. But I I do remember most versions having at least three or four uh, of the the chaos slash flamer cards. And it's really tough when they can back it up with counter spell because then. It almost only becomes about you know countering the brazen and bar and whatnot. So that was really tough. But the, the the version I played and maybe you've been playing was just you know a couple extra counter spells. You go up to maybe eight eight counter spells, even nine. And but you don't have the the chance to kind of real lock card. You just have these couple of relics. Yeah, that's as, that, that, that's it. Scary. We've been kind of focusing on winning mid range blue fights and stuff like that. You know, obviously the blue white. The blue white deck was on the upswing, and so it was this kind of four color. Uh, uh, what's the red, red, red X spell? Something creativity, indomitable creativity. Yeah. Uh, that that deck was on the upswing. Uh, people were casting maybe not so much rhinos, but like there was just like a, a an elementals and stuff, and it really became about grinding, you know, grinding out John Saga and all this sort of stuff. So we're we're playing like Jace Mind Sculptors. We're playing. You know, various different card advantage elements and extra control elements post board and trying to like change the deck that way and it's just something's got to fall by the wayside and it's been the kind of targeted cascade hate and honestly yeah i just 
I was I was I played played in the league. I'm like, cool, all right, it's post board. I've got a hand, I've got Ragavan, I've got a Fluster Storm, and I've got a Relic of Regenitus. This should be fine. And it's just not good enough. I just don't have like, you know, relic to stop, you know, they just go off on a small graveyard once. So you have to you have to relic it away. They just rebuild. They have Foundation Breaker, they have uh Force of Vigor post board or Ingot Chewer or whatnot. And or they just or they just bounce it with Brazen Borrower at end of turn and then just set up and go. It's just not quite good enough. And so yeah, this deck living in living in kind of having having a good weekend in the face of Merktide being essentially the most successful deck over the last couple of weeks is uh somewhat unsurprising just based on the kind of the lay of the land of the way that deck's been building itself. I noticed that you beat it actually beat it in the finals of Saturday Challenge and that that, that Saturday list is second place list of uh it's it's Roch, I think, is playing almost exactly your seventy five from the week before the couple of weeks prior. Okay, yeah, I uh, I did, yeah, I did. I think I only played against once in the finals, and it was, uh, you know, relatively. I would say it was probably one of my easier rounds in the entire tournament. Honestly, um, yeah, we see we see they had uh, they had one Soul Get Lantern, one Fluster Storm, an extra Spell Peters, probably brought into the Force Negation Dispute. Yeah, pretty close to, to the list I was playing. And um, yeah, we see these two Torpor orbs that are so key against elemental, elemental stuff matchup, but you, you pay the price in uh, in a matchup like a living end for sure. Well, you alluded to it early on. This was kind of the top eight for some some streamers, and and also somewhat of a breakout for one of the kind of most more exciting cards from the the latest set, the Innistrad, the Midnight Hunt, or whatever it's called. Uh, that's Faithful Mending. So. Both Aspiring Spike and Spider Space both have four copies of Faithful Mending in their deck, and it seems to have kind of like at least put a bit of life into relatively dormant archetypes. So, you know, Spike was playing Jeskai Phoenix, so he's um, he has the four Faithful Mending, and then he has like Arclight Phoenix Demulet. She's just replacing the um, you know Faithful Salutings with Faithful Mendings, and you know getting most of the way there, despite the fact that it costs you know one extra mana on the front side. And the spider space playing this S reanimator again. It's got four copies of Faithful Mending in it. Uh, reasonably impactful card from the latest set, I guess. Yeah, it's cool that the the card's been good enough. People, uh, you know, they actually put in the work and uh, it, it paid off. Spike stacks just super streamlined. Just all all cantrips removal. Just eight creatures. I would be terrified to play that deck in a world of endurance. That card, I, I did, I did get paired against Spike and um, in the, I guess in the top eight, right? And yeah, you played him in the, you played him in the semi, in the final, in the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals, yeah. And, and endurance just so obscene against that deck. That lit, he, I mean, his specific list has literal no counterplay to it. Besides, you know, obviously just going off again and just outvaluing, which, you know, maybe maybe he can do with a really good draw with four, four faceless salvaging and four faithful mending. That's lots of ways to rebuild. But, um, yeah. The, prob- the problem is that you, you rebuild into something that doesn't even attack through endurance. I don't know. I've, I've, never, I've never really been a big Arclight Phoenix guy. Uh, I, I, will, I, will, I will be on, go on the record as saying that no matter what the format is, but it is cool to see this deck go up again. And it, when I was watching Spike play with a version prior to the printing of Faithful Mending, where he was playing Arclight and Demi Lich, it just really didn't look like it was doing anything close to good enough. But 
you know, now if there's eight ways of getting your cards in your graveyard reasonably, reasonably quickly, and also four copies of Consider, which is a significant upgrade over like you know whatever your next best cantrip is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe this is this has got some things going on, but I, I definitely agree with you that trying to trying to cast trying to bring back three two flyers into the into the face of from your, from your graveyard, especially in the face of a th- three four flash reach uh, that exiles your graveyard, is uh, not something that I would be. Uh, too happy to do on the other hand though if you look at i actually really like spider spaces deck a lot more i think spider spaces deck is much more up my alley which is not it's it's a graveyard deck again it's you know it's got the un- unmarked grave and persist interaction getting back archon of cruelty or one, one copy of sarah's emissary but surrounding that is essentially a deck that can not quite grind but set itself up in such a way that it can it can it can do its powerful thing despite what resistance your opponent is trying to do so it's got you know uh prismatic endings thought seasons counter spells and then a whole bunch of card selection between faithful mending and consider to go with three to fairy time ravelers as well that i really like this deck on its surface but i will say that the counter spells seem a little bit ambitious to me yeah the the specific matchup of of living end against spider space was uh I got played against him in the in the Swiss, and I think I got really lucky. Um, he he won game one. Uh, basically, he relies on Arcana of Cruelty four, and then had one Sarah's emissary. And if he can ever get all, it feels like pretty much in game one against Living, and all he has to do is get a, an Archon in the graveyard, and the game's almost impossible for me because one Archon in the yard trumps i don't know how many creatures have to bring back to to trump one archon you know so that's really scary he didn't draw very well in the match so i didn't get there in the sideboard games i almost got there in game one Uh, but um i feel like both these decks are i guess in some ways they're similar to living and they're really weak to graveyard hate and um are really powerful at the same time I think Spider's um, Spikes deck maybe is the most similar one to to Living End because it's probably the weakest to Endurance out of the two, but it's also probably super consistent. I didn't really get to see it in action because I think Spike didn't draw super well against me, so I might be a little, uh, you know negative bias towards the deck. But it, it's it just looks like it would be a really super uh, super well owned machine and. Just do your thing so consistently. Uh, I didn't get to see demolition in action in our match, but I'm assuming that if you ever attack once with it, it's probably close to game over. So um, and you you do get to play some some cheap interaction. You get to see a lot of cards. So um, I'm interested to see if, if Spike keeps playing the deck and how if he chooses to ignore, if you'll just choose to ignore the endurance problem, or they come up with some some creative solution. And for Spider Spice Stick, the one thing I kind of noticed is that, you know, you see Esper colors and you're like, uh, the game goes long, it's not that great for me, but his deck doesn't really have any card advantage. It's it's all one for one with 23 lands. And, you know, you can actually kind of grind pretty easily. And I feel like just having a bunch of counter spells and endurance up your sideboard and fairy macabre was was just good, you know, just casting my card. I think I brought in subtlety, just kind of casting my creatures, having free uh, free ways to, to remove the graveyard. He does have 
Thoughtseize. He does have, you know, his own counter spells, and Teferi Time Raveler can can take over a game. But if you look at his sideboard, there's no 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 kind of transformation, no card advantage, nothing to to kind of grind through hate and stuff. So this is something I was going to suggest as well. I, I would I would really like to see maybe even copies of Teferi Hero of Dominaria in the sideboard or something like that for these games where your opponent brings in graveyard hate, expecting you to. You know, expecting you to expecting you to be all in on this kind of great you know reanimation strategy, and you just play your, your like protracted yeah. setup game where you're just kind of you know thought seizing them, cast a counter spell, bouncing things with Teferi, you know, and and set up, and then just unload Teferi to Hero Dominaria, and or maybe at least a chase, you know, just yeah, like just anything like that. Yeah, just a little bit of a little bit of a change a change of direction because the rest of the deck really set up nicely to do that. I think, you know, it has the tools to kind of. To transform really really well because it's it's game one is about you know casting casting interaction like thought season counterspell and getting there i'm surprised it's counterspell over like remand or something like that to be perfectly honest it's yeah. harder than mana the mana base has freelance that don't produce blue so if i count right so that's 20 sources of blue plus a mystic gate he, I guess he just valued the the hard, the hard counter. You know, maybe yeah. maybe he he played with the deck and realized that his games were you know going a bit a bit long and the the remands or or whatnot were game were a bit weak. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely believe that. It just seems that this is a perfect sort of star deck for remand, where you just kind of want to buy a little bit of time early on and then do something, then go over the top of them. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I can I can agree with that. I just I just feel like I'd be wanting to fetch kind of like godless shrine a lot early on because i want to be casting thorses and prismatic endings and yeah anyway i i, I really like it on paper that it's it's not like a deck that i've actually played with at the moment but it's the sort of thing where i always get kind of excited by this sort of decks which like masquerade as control decks but really are doing some kind of like combo thing like it's just like it's wedding you know for, quenching my thirst for splendor twin after all these years yeah, I also just really like the card Archon of Cruelty. So powerful from my days of playing the, what's it called, the, the Red Cascade deck, you know, the one where you flip over the permits from, from your top of your uh, deck. Yeah, yeah. When the, I was the, playing the Forgotten the, Cascade deck, yeah. Yeah, I was playing the, the Eldrazi version, and, and Archon was almost better than, than Eldrazi's in some ways. So uh, It's a really powerful card. It's just It just recoups so much of the value that you put into getting it into play once you get it into play. It's it's great. I, I'm really I've been really impressed with it, and I, it jumped out at me on, in, in spoiler season as well. Yeah, and I wonder if it's not a coincidence that all three of us made top eight. That you know, all three heavily decks heavily re rely on the graveyard, and I think I played against Burn a couple of times. The, you know, a bunch of good matchups. So maybe it was just the the right tweak for these graveyard decks. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the rest of the top eight is actually. There's three blue white control decks in the to round out the top eight, and all but one of them, no, all three of them have rest in peace in the sideboard. So people are ready, but but maybe not your opponents in the Swiss. Yeah, pe people were were definitely ready. Currywar. When did I? Oh, no, I played against Currywar last uh, the week. The week and I was playing. Yeah, when you won with blue red, blue red Murktide, you played against Currywar in the Swiss and in the quarterfinals. Yeah, Currywar in his trademark Urion build. He he mixes it up. Sometimes it's so unfortunate, but recently it's been more control edge, Vendelian Plex, Restoration, Angel, Wall of Omens, and 
four verdicts, four counterspell, four Dobbins Vito in the main deck, the chalice. Bill Sive to I think it's his second top eight in um, in two or three weeks was the he kind of innovated the four solitude build, I think. Uh, he, he added a third chalice, whereas Waffle was was playing two, you know, I was playing two for a while. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for Solitude, the, the format slows down. Solitude is just really, really strong card. Yeah, that card gets hard cast way more than I expected it to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, some uh, copies of uh, three copies of the new card Memory Deluge in Bill's Live deck. Oh, or Bill's Zoof deck. That's yeah. uh, the two blue and two colors. Look at the top X cards of your library where X is the amount of mana and you spend to play it. You spend to cast it and put two in your hand and the rest on the bottom, and it's got flashback of seven. Yeah, card is card is nuts in, in slower matchups, control control matchups. So I'm surprised to see so many copies. Sounds a little heavy, but it kind of makes sense. It's, it's I guess it's really good with solitude, right? You you deluge, you find your solitude, so you made up for the two for one, and it gives you that flexibility. You know, it's not like it's ideal to go deluge and then straight straight away spend your two cards to kill a creature, but having the option is super nice. Yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see that, and it's also the sort of thing where like it's it's week one or whatever. Let's try these sort of things out. I'm not convinced that this is a better card than Fact of Fiction in the aggregate, but it's still a really cool card. I, I, I cast it a little bit in the standard online, and it's been, I mean, it's not as good as casting a Seeker's Chariot, but it's yeah, it's it's been very fun to play, and I flashed it back more often than I thought I would, and it's pretty pretty great when you can, when you flash it back. Obviously, it's just dig through time at that point. Yeah, I played it. I actually played a league today. It was a, a, a team of Red Brew. I wanted to play four endurance in, in the main deck of whatever deck I was going to play. And I ended up building a, a team of Red deck with a couple of the Deluge cards. I um, The card was fine. I mean, it was hard to see if it was really much better in fact for fiction. The deck was kind of cool. It did look like it would just really have polarized matchup. I got smashed by, by Red Eldrazi. I got Beaten by Blue White, they actually were on the full Solitude build, and that card just lined up well against my deck because I didn't have enough card advantage. They also had their own Deluge, and that matchup felt bad. But then I, I beat Elementals twice pretty easily, and I ended up being oh, I beat a mail deck with my one Nexus of Fate in the main and the four Endurance. So I was kind of somewhat pre boarded against the, the mail deck, but it's still kind of tough. Anyways, that was like kind of the little side, uh, the, the little one league I played today. But yeah, Canister, top eight again. He's been just crushing it with that elemental, like just so powerful. The, the pitch cards are so good, all of them. He, he has, you know, four sided for Fury. He he abandoned Renin Six, is the card he, he's not playing anymore. He's just playing a extra cheap removal, I think. Um, and he, he came ready, you know, two endurance in the sideboard, two rest in peace. So I'm glad the, the Merc type player and, and their Torpor took care of him for me in the, in the semis. Huh. I was thinking, Sorry. I think, there, that's there fine. I'm going to, I'm going to need a couple of minutes. Ah! Yeah. Did you write down when, uh. I could tell when Pat didn't answer. I was like, oh, he's uh, he's having Teddy issues. 
Galena command just rubbing, uh, you know, rubbing, rubbing in my face. Hey, Terry Badges, is that usually play Grief? Yeah, the first builds of Reanimator were Grief, Ephemerate, and Reanimator, but that's that's a little different. It's, it's more reminiscent of the, the old Reanimator decks, I guess. We got four mendings for. I like the the very you know very streamlined, very very streamlined build. I think it looks good. So yeah, bear with us while Pat deals with his little boy. Hey, Blady Go. Yeah, that top here looks pretty cool. What about the, the Sunday top eight? He just plays four, four Maldrifters now, All right? Yeah, four Maldrifter. One Endurance, only two Maldrifters. Oh, none of the two, four endings, no bolts. Uh, different, slightly different list. Oh, the Monoride, uh, okay, the, the Monoride uh, thing is for real. I did, I sure totally got demolished by it. Is that the new, the new tier one deck? Where I was forced to negation in the main. Young Moth. That's that one of my two losses. Mash up with Atrocious. Trying to get in modern, what deck should you try? I don't know. You could play Blue Light Control. Blue Light Control is pretty good right now, and you like control decks, right? Blue light control, blue red merc types really tons of fun. I've never played the Yangmas deck. The Elementals deck's really powerful too. I like living in, but might not be the most fun. I might have just played my Saturday list, card for card. And only one subtlety. Maybe just maybe just the um, subtleties. House of Mana. I think they, they pretty much only play Titan, Titan experts. Any innovations? Uh, just two relics in the main. Sideward has a little spice, I guess. Pretty swan song. Hey, your, yo, uh, how do you say it in Portuguese? Yogi? Yogi, thank you so much for the tier one sub. We're on the podcast scene, so there's no alerts. Maybe you'll add song during the podcast. 
Another thing about Team Rhino, it's it's good if you like a 50-50 deck. Feels very 50-50-ish across the board. I remember I, I played it a bit and it was good, but it was really tough beating Hammer Time. But hey, that's another deck that can play for endurance. So I think I think Rhino's pretty solid. I don't think it's anything special, it's just a good deck. Could Ragavan get banned? I don't think so. I don't think it's overpowered. And it's kind of their, you know, they don't want to ban the, the big mythic of their set that's just bad business for them to every time that the good mythic gets banned. Um, not, uh, a lot a lot of the time when you're playing a Ragman deck, you actually board them out after sideboard or board them out when you're on the draw. Whereas Dragon Rage Chandler pretty much never gets boarded out, so I I, I don't see why they would be in Ragavan. It is a very good card, but I, I doubt it'll ever get banned. With or without Fury. I don't I'm not a Rhino's expert. Fury is a really good card though. Could play just a few Furies. People have been playing Season Power Answer too, so. That's where we're gonna meet our head legs. I mean, I said what I thought about the deck, you know, I think it's still kind of, it doesn't grind, like it's, it's all a bunch of one for one, so that's kind of scary. It's kind of an issue and it's not super, it doesn't have a super great plan against graveyard gates. I mean, you do have four, uh, four prismatic endings to remove stuff like rest in peace, you have counter spells. But, uh, yeah, I feel like someone just shows up with four endurance and a bit of interaction, your life's pretty tough. I think, I can, I mean, when you look at the main deck, you, you can probably pivot to control because you have basically Teferi, and I guess, I mean, do you have cards that kind of do nothing on their own, but you have Teferi, you have Thoughtseize, you have Ending, you have Counterspell, Consider, you have all like, I mean, Mending gets rid of your dead card, so if you are trying to grind with you, you can, you can maybe pivot a bit, have, then having like some Planeswalkers in the sideboard is a good idea. Cards that don't care about Endurance, so Jason Mind Sculpture, Five Mana Teferi, um, Maybe have some some cheap creature. I don't know if Esper has, you know, kind of not dark confident, but something in the likes. Maybe even the new looter from the new set. You know, one of these like one or two minute, like these two minute creatures that can snowball against someone who's trying to be super reactive against you. Maybe that new looter is good. It's like one one unblockable, it loots and then you flip it when it's night and then it straight up draws you a card and it's still unblockable. So. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Candice's performance over the last you know month or so with Elementals has been pretty impressive, and it just seems like he's top adding things as frequently, if not more, than than you are. Maybe he's not not winning as many, but yeah, you know, Elementals obviously a very powerful deck, and also won a Sunday Challenge as well, which is 
not the first time the decks won a tournament. So obviously really, really good strategy playing in modern at the moment. Yeah. Slightly... You just ran it back in the Sunday challenge, right? Yeah, I just ran it back. I was like, didn't really know what else to play, and I thought it would be cool if I, I went back to Yak somehow. Was, uh, I mean, I guess it's even cooler if you do it was a different deck. It's like the ultimate boss move, but uh, just just wanted to run it back, made, made a few tweaks. So, I mean, to give people an idea, a couple of changes I made from Saturday to Sunday was cut the, the black-red 4-4, the Carabit, and go up to four Waker of Waves. So that was my one change in the main deck. And in the sideboard, I cut the third Subtlety and I cut the third Foundation Breaker. And I put a Prismari command and a single Leyland of Sanctity. So the Prismari command was to have a nod to cards like Chalice and Voidmere. When the game slowed down a bit, I wanted something flexible. It's a blue card. And I was quite happy with it. When I drew it, the Leyland of Sanctity was a nod to Junt. I felt like that matchup was always tough and close. And I realized, you know, I saw Sadek had four Lane of Sanctity in his sideboard, and I thought that was a bit much. But I realized it, it works against Endurance. So that can be really nice. The problem is that most Endurance deck don't have other cards that get stopped by Leyline. So you really want to just bring four Leyline just for Endurance. That's kind of sketchy. But I um, I did end up playing against Young Moth. My, uh, and they actually, just, I mean, the specific list had Necrophobia, which is one of the lobotomies, you know, and as well as for Endurance. So it would have been actually really, really sick against them. I, uh, I got game one, but I never never had Leyline in the sideboard games, I think, or maybe I, I even lost game one. Anyways, that matchup felt really tough because not only is their main game plan pretty good against you, you know, if they, if they, if they ever resolve Yagmas, they can stack their creatures, draw some cards, and, you know, a bit like an Omnath, you can do your thing and they can still just outpower you. Yeah, and you I need feel to be like... killing them in one attack against that deck because chances are they're rebuilding into a lethal board. And yeah. and it's a good point as well, like Yogmoth playing a little bit like Arkbound Ravager and the old Affinity versus Living End dynamic where, you know, they can't really cast Living End because you just get your whole board back anyway. It doesn't act like a Wrath. Yeah, so it's definitely a tough matchup. And it are... sounds like they were perfectly situated to kind of like you know, endurances again and like you know, cranial extraction effects. Like that's that's super prepared. Yeah, exactly. These are the nightmare mashups. It's it's like um, elementals. They have that game plan that can overpower your game plan, and they back it up with you know endurance. And in Yarmouth's case, it's necrophobia and Bill of Summer. In Elemental's case, it's Teferi's and Force Negations and Rest in Peace. So. Super tough. That was one of my losses. I also lost to Blue Red Merktide, but I got I got to the game two was on me. I made a, a related mistake. And um rest of the challenge went okay, you know, five and two, so per, pretty solid overall. Can I ask what your mistake against Merktide was? Was it really embarrassing or was it just it, kind it of it was it was humble. it was really dumb, yeah. So basically the attack was Ragavan. They were stuck on one land, the attack was Ragavan. I play Endurance to block, and they bolt it once, and they bolt it a second time, and I don't counter the second bolt. I'm like, oh, I'll save my first negation, and 
I mean, basically, I had creatures in the yard, and and I had living in the next turn. So all I had to do was counter the second bolt, eat their ragavan. They don't get the treasure. They don't have a mana up for potential spell pierce, and I just living in for some. But for some weird, like literally, what happened is I was oh, if I do that, then I kill their ragavan, and my endurance doesn't die, so my living in's not as good. But who cares? My living in was plenty good. It was really like it really does sound very stupid. It, it, it was incredibly stupid. I, I really like those ones where, like, the, 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 the correct answer is staring you right at your face, but you, like, somehow trick yourself into, like, thinking that you need more than you. That, yeah. That, that need things to go really right for you. Something like, I'm, this is, like, completely, completely tangential, but I remember early on in, in playing competitive magic, I was playing an affinity mirror, like a disciple of old affinity mirror, and I was it was really close to time or whatever in the end of the round in game three. And like, I'm sitting there and I'm counting, I'm counting. I'm like, I can't, I can't quite kill him. Like I can put him to one. It's like, I can only put him to one with like my Atogs and like my two disciples versus his one disciple. I just can't kill him. And so I just wound up making some awful boneheaded, like half ass play where all I need to do is just untap and attack him. And that would just completely mean that I, I had lethal. I just was like, I just can't kill him in the turn. <laughs> and I just, just wound up just killing myself instead. It was just these these things where like it's, it's staring you right at the face, but you just make these like just just the silliest thing things on planet Earth that you wind up doing in the games of Magic, no matter how good you are as well. I, I really did ask you just to humanize you to be perfectly fair. No, it's fine. I I wonder if it's not some in in this case some remnant of really my early days of competitive Magic where decks were not as powerful and it was all about getting you know every every inch of value and i still have the, the you know i mean in this case it made no sense but you know my, my reasoning was like oh i'm not getting max value i'm putting yeah. that their creature in the yard and not getting mine in the yard so it, i don't know i mean it's a really weird mistake but i wonder if it doesn't have something to do with the way i you know, grew up playing magic and how how decks worked twenty years ago, and yeah. who, know, who knows? So we we can we can chalk that one firmly up to a boom a boomer era. Yeah, huge boomer era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's somewhat common. You know, the whole like oh, now things are so powerful. The, it's not the th- same thing that always matters that used to matter. Oh, certainly. There's been a whole. I've had to reprogram essentially how I think about, you know, you know, micro just micro interactions in magic and also just kind of like large things like, you know, decks positioning and metagames or cards positioning or card evaluation and stuff like that in general. There's a huge amount of changes in magic over the last, you know, 20 years or whatever that I've been playing. Well, 20 years will take me back to being, you know, pretty young and playing, but like, you know, the 15 years or so that I've been playing, I played tournament magic, you know, things are just wildly different. And I, 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 I do struggle to switch off that kind of looking at th- things through a lens of, that's 10 years old and out of date. Yeah, no, for sure. So anything else you want to talk about in modern? Because yeah, honestly, the thing I think it's doing the most is being playing limited, but yeah, if you've got more to talk about, let's go for it. I just had a couple of things about the deck since we've gone so depth. I figured I'd, I'd round it up. And yeah, we did it for Mokta. We might as well do it for Living End. I, I want to talk about the lands, the, the one sunken runes, the one basic forest, the 19 versus 18, it's it's tough. I was one thing I was doing was pointing out sunken runes a lot, especially on the draw. And um, 
I still don't know if Sunken Ruins is better than a Blue Source. It's the classic where when it's good, it's really good and you really notice it. But when it's bad, it's also game losing, but maybe you don't notice it as much. It's not as, as clear cut when it's screwing you over, but uh, you know, the, the, the one lander or the, the, the sequencing, you end up getting screwed in your sequencing because it's the land you draw and you can't cycle a, a, sec a second creature on turn two, these little things, yeah. you know. This is a very, the very kind of like impossible to calculate statistics that comes from game, games of magic where it's impossible to kind of really figure out what the right answer is, even if you played like 100,000 games. You could never never come to a conclusive conclusion. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure what's how, how you go about it, honestly, to to figure out what's right. And and the basic for us, it was medium for me this weekend. There was basically no blood moon in sight, but it is nice to have two basics to fetch against you know very aggressive decks. I'll be frank. The basic for us sounds heinous. What does it do for you? <laughs> I think the logic is that you fetch it against Blood Moon decks and you can always Foundation Breaker their right. Blood Moon. Right. So it's really a sideboard, it's a sideboard card in the main. Yeah, and you kind of need critical mass of green sources to hard cast endurance of your sideboard. Yeah, okay. No, I, I get it, but I, it just seems like the sort of thing where <laughs> you, you complain about Sunken Root screwing you over. Imagine drawing Forest. I'd be so tilted. Yeah, I think that's just something to think about if you play the deck just weekend to weekend depending on what the metagame is going to be yeah yes yeah, certainly are you happy with the kind of the singleton ley line because it was definitely a uh it stuck out of me on paper as, as being quite odd I, I agree i definitely agree with your your uh, the things you said earlier but kind of it's a bit awkward in the sense that like it's yes it's obviously really great against endurance and that's probably the most common piece of graveyard hate at the moment but no other deck there's no other real decks that it does anything against like there's no one trying to tendrils of agony you or whatever another tendrils is actually legal in, in in modern but no one's trying to grape shot you no one's trying to thought seize inquisition you very much so it's, and it doesn't even work against the other the other graveyard hate so it doesn't like do anything at rest in peace obviously but like it doesn't do it doesn't affect well it doesn't affect relic of regenerators entirely it doesn't doesn't affect uh soul guide land and it shuts off Nile Spellbomb. So it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of like what hate, what graveyard hate it actually does anything against. Which is the sort of thing where like when you look at Sodex's list of four, like it makes sense why he wants four, or do you think that this is him going like going all out to do to do the anti graveyard hate thing as a kind of react you know, him him holding on to his principles of being kind of like dredge, dredge essentially and needing needing like absolutely no chance that your opponent has graveyard hate against you. I think it's actually perfect in some matchups. It's great against Jun because their annoying cards are discard spells, and I think they exclusively rely on Spellbomb. Spellbomb's just much better than Lantern or Relic if you have access to black mana in most cases, especially if you're a Lurus deck because you don't want to exile your own graveyard. So it would really shine in that matchup. It's always decent to have against Burn. Even though I feel like they can maybe maybe piece a win together, even against uh, a turn zero ley line, and the the one matchup I played and honestly that deck puts up results consistently is Yangmoth, and if they are on the endurance plus necrophobia plan, 
it's amazing. It's yeah, so we, we amazing. Did, we did actually speak about this earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, th them having cranial extractions really <laughs> does tip tip the hand. I've definitely seen those decks with like thought scissors and endurance before, though. So it's definitely definitely got some mileage there. Yeah, the reason I only had one is I couldn't really make room for more, and it's another you know it's kind of like the sunken range problem. It's so hard to uh, to figure out how many you should play, what's the right number. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a, a zero four type of card. And the reason, you know, my reason why I like to play one is this way I can never have two in my opening hand. But I don't know if that's a good enough upside to to actually matter. It's tough. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to four if, if the card's really good. But uh, yeah, I just don't see that. I don't see the there being enough matchups where you where you really you desperately want that effect. I mean, you, you can replicate that effect of like shutting off endurance with something like subtlety as well. Which is a little bit more of a flexible card. Yeah, but I, I definitely agree with you, you. And this is something that over the uh, you know the few years that we've gotten to know each other that you've 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 really taught me is this four ley lines is not a mandatory thing. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It's how many how many of this effect do you really need? And yeah. one is fine, two is fine, three is fine, four is fine. Yeah, exactly. How important do you think it is? How many cyber slots you can afford? And it would be cool to have some kind of loot card, but I don't think you want Prismari commands in the matchup where you want Leyline. And I'm not sure if there's another reasonable loot card you can play to at least have outs. You know, because some of these December games, they might slow down a bit. People are a bit more reactive. So you have time to maybe dirt all bit around and have time to cycle away these dead ley lines. And um, you'd have to think about it. But yeah, that, that was, yeah, I think we went over a lot of the matchups. No, we didn't talk about Hammer Time. That matchup's historically pretty good for Living End because of the, you know, your, your main main plan is pretty solid and you get the, the breakers, the chores, the force of big after side works. That's nice. Um, I think I beat Green Tron once. That felt pretty, pretty good. It makes sense, right? You have force, grief, subtlety, and you kill them pretty fast. Um, yeah, having force negation in that matchup means that going off on turn three turn four isn't like too slow yeah and um yeah burn burn pretty decent matchup it's maybe a little worse with this specific mana base was you know at some point i used to play eight fast lands which is obviously what you want to draw against burn this version only has six but still still a decent matchup there's a bunch of you know burn i was just boarding our street wraith um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what else uh, to say. I will, I will just note one last thing is the, the blue-red deck that they top it on Sunday, I think. They were, there was a list with two for some negation main deck. I like that, that card. I think it's been strong for me out of the sideboard for blue-red, and I think force main makes sense, as well as the, the red Eldrazi deck making top it again, second place finish on the Sunday. So that's, yeah. back, that's, that's back to that weekend, like first and second place. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you, that that happened last week when I wasn't in the cast. That deck did well, and it's. So I'm not surprised to see it do well. I mean, it's a Chalice of the Void deck with some access to Blood Moon or whatnot, but it's definitely like a. It's cool to see it do it. It's clear. It's nice to see it not be a flash in the pan and do it a second time. The yeah. uh, the Matia Risi deck uh, in third place is really nice. So it does it does some things that I've been doing recently as well. Yeah, the Force of Negations in the main, just. You know, making sure you're trying to trying to trying to bolster that uh, cascade matchup and 
you know, not be vulnerable to decks that have uh, Teferi Time Raveler, so you can kind of establish your board weight, and then also just Teferi and untap, counter the Teferi and untap and have uh, more more hard counter spells up. Yeah, totally a nut, uh, a neg, how do you say, a neg better. Anyway. What does the word mean? An anecdote, but there's anecdotal. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yes. Uh, I, I did. I got paired against that red deck was wreck, and I got absolutely demolished. I thought I was gonna win game two when demolished five. I got a I finally got a six six shark typhoon to block their smasher, but they just uh, played the obligators. Lost so my shark typhoon and attacked me yep. for super lethal. Yeah, I, I actually lost. I lost so it. Gross. I lost to Odrazi again with uh, with Murktide Blue, <laughs> where they just they just had three old they had three obligations and just stole my had three turns in a row. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Kill me with it. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. I even made a small one, but they had they had the third obligator. Yeah, didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was never going to matter. I should have realized when they just cast obligator and tried to attack me with it. Yeah, that there was many more coming, but I didn't have much of a choice. Yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's a good deck. I mean, it has good powerful cards. And it has Ragavans. It has Fury, and then it has some Eldrazi, which are you know, you know, historically pretty powerful cards. Maybe not quite at the power level of modern at the moment, but back it up with force negation and draw draw your old Razi Tremples and it's good times. Yeah, Temples, good cards. I, I really like the restraint of this deck, though, playing the Blood Moon in the sideboard. I feel like this is the sort of deck that would historically have had the Blood Moons in the main and it just would have been awful. Mm, I think it's... I don't know, I think it makes sense to not have the Blood Moons in the main or maybe you could have one in the main. Well, no, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, you're trying to... You need to have colorless mana, right? And you know, Blood Moon shuts off your Eldrazi temples and your Ramanak ruins from t- making colorless. But I feel like people who build kind of like mid-range red decks with Chalice of the Void are start at four Chalice of the Void, four Blood Moon, and then they just fill the rest of the cards in. And this this deck's got some this, whoever, whoever designed this deck has got some restraint and has put the Blood Moons in the sideboard for when they truly need them. Yeah, and I really I really appreciate that. All right. Um, Should we talk about limited? I, yeah, I'm we, just, we, we, I'm, you and I've never talked about spoken really spoken about limited on the cast before, and Harry's yeah. not here, so you know we can actually pretend that Harry's here. And he just wouldn't say anything. True, true, true. So, midnight, well, yeah, in, in this thread, midnight hunt or whatever. Yeah, I started drafting. I know you drafted a bunch too. Worlds has three rounds of draft and seven rounds of standard, which topic standard, so. Um, you know, I've been I've been dabbling. I think I'll end up, you know, probably going to watch some some ham, some Colorado streams, some Bennett streams, etc. Some some of the really good drafters. But uh, you know, at least get familiar with the the tricks, etc. is is useful. I did like I think we both did about seven we both did about seven drafts. I don't know how you want to go about it. I don't feel super strongly about much. I know a lot of people have been saying that blue black's really good. That's my experience from the one time I one time I drafted it and I had multiple organ organ hoarders and scarp wranglers, which is the two blue uh, the two mana two one that says tap three creatures tap tap target creature. I just think that deck puts puts the decayed creatures to such good use, whereas no other deck really does other than just like turning them into damage. Maybe maybe you can be like white black sacrifice. But just the depth, the depth and power of the blue, the blue and black cards at common is, is really impressive. Yeah, it might be the depth because my one experience 
drafting blue black is also totally skewed. I had two of the blue black zombie lords, I had the one that taps, I had two or three um, organ hoarders. I think I got one with two cards left in the pack, so that deck was super dumb. I was uh, super impressed by the, the flashback card that raises that and puts a plus one plus one counter on a zombie. Yeah, that's uh, that's an unassuming card that that is really, really quite powerful. Yeah, I'm guessing by now it's you know it's not a secret that that card's good, but yeah. it was, it was especially like, impressive. I think I think for a tournament like Worlds, it's going to be it's going to be much harder to rely on something like this being being available to you. I think that although blue and black is very deep, I just don't think you can ever expect anything weird to happen. People know, and the one of the beautiful things about draft is it's self-correcting, and especially it's self-correcting when it's eight people who are very, very, very good and playing for high stakes and prepared, sitting down at a table and doing this together. So it's probably, yeah, it's, it's certainly worth your time getting familiar with some of the less less obviously powerful archetypes as well. I mean, I, I've been drafting a lot of kind of like green decks. I've, I've had some, some interesting like self mill decks in blue green where I've been um, making prioritizing, having a copy of the flashback regrowth and also a copy of the, I guess it's, I guess it's the front side of Gaia's blessing with flashback. It's like shuffle three cards from a graveyard into a library and gain two life and it flashes back. So if I have to have those guys, you can actually just like loop loop your graveyard over and over and over and over again. And so I've been drafting these kind of like organ hoarders, obviously, but then like the two, three for three that mills three and gets back a land, the instant with flashback that uh, looks at the top three and puts a creature in your hands. So it's just dumping my 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 library into my graveyard and honestly not doing anything particularly synergistic with it other than just using it as a card advantage resource and then having inevitability by by not well, not inevitably, but presenting myself from decking. So I've had a couple of decks like that. They've been pretty sweet. Uh, they've been bolstered a little bit by you know the number of organ hoarders they've had or the number of like great rares. But I've been impressed with like some some commons I've been impressed with is a uh, uh, bird tender or bird mender, which is uh, the one four reach werewolf for three that flips mm-hmm. into a, a three five reach. That guys yeah. are pretty impressive. I, what do you think about the new werewolf mechanic? Because honestly. I thought on paper it made a lot of sense, and then I put it into play, and I just I absolutely hate it. This kind of if you put a werewolf into play at any point in time, then night and day become trapped, regardless of whether or not those cards are in play anymore. It just it just boggles my mind. It, it's it's more egregious and constructed than in limited, I think, but it's a weird. It just feels really weird, and I'm really not looking forward to playing it in paper ever. Yeah, they're all keeping track of night and day. Uh, and paper it's probably not as as bad i mean in limited it's not going to be bad just because it's going to be such a huge part of the the game right it's in every game so you're going to get used to it and then in constructed if it's your deck and you're playing these cards you're also probably used to it so i feel like it's not going to be as bad as oh. maybe some people well, for, the first time i constructed be... my opponent cast a werewolf and i killed it and untapped and passed with manor up and there was just like here's the here's the backside of werewolf i was like damn yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe really frustrating. Maybe there'll be a lot of judge calls. Oh, there'll be a lot of judge calls. Yeah, but uh, I I haven't felt like it was too too snowbally. I felt like it was balanced and it played out nicely. It's definitely it's definitely a pretty aggressive uh, format. Assuming you're talking about the limited limited environment again. Yeah. But yeah, no, I've been enjoying it. I don't I don't feel like I'm kind of falling behind too much. 
uh, one of the reasons I was I wanted to point out that I really like that one four one four reach is that uh, one of the things I do that who is just getting chipped damage by flyers in the kind of mid game, especially out of my green decks. Um, so that's I like that I like that the sizing of the creatures isn't particularly kind of like rough. Like they they might go like two drop three drop, but really they're just playing like a two two and a three three, and you can you can block it or a two a two two and a two three or something like that or a three a three two that you can trade with. So I haven't really felt myself getting behind too much. Uh, I've been there's been some unassuming cards that have been, that have been impressive, and I, I always appreciated that in draft formats. Like I really like the um the card that's like uh, investigate for a blue, and if you flash it back, you make two two clues. That's been okay. like a, a cool a cool card in my my green black self mill decks. Um, again, not not like an all star by any means, but it's the sort of thing where like I didn't think it would be good at all, and when I've had it in my hand or I've milled it over in my deck, I've been like, I'm glad I have that here. Um, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of cards. Like you said, the the, the flashback, uh, Raise Dead, uh, that that card's been impressive. But again, like unassuming on its face, it feels a little bit, just a you know, just on that on that notion, a little bit like originally in Estrad, where cards that look bad have homes, and are like an important part of like one sub archetype but are kind of ignorable by the rest of the table. And that's, that, I think, is a, a really interesting and, and nice part of a draft environment. Do you feel like, how are you going about, I guess I guess you don't you need to share the secrets of how you're going about preparing for this with your, with, with your teammates, but are you doing any kind of extra effort to kind of make sure you're not being biased by what goes on in Magic Arena? Because Arena drafts are significantly different to real-life drafts just because of the way you know, randomly assigning people into a pod and just the broad skill level of the player base overall uh, lends itself to kind of really, really, really powerful decks if you know what's going on and not everyone knows what's going on. I played my first five drafts on Arena and I switched to Magic Online to get best of three reps and not get that skewed perspective of the, the BO1 games where you've got the shuffler effect and you definitely notice, you know, you definitely notice you're you're not getting as punished when you keep a hand that doesn't have a two drop. I think I've done two drafts on Magic Online. So yeah, I think maybe drafting on Magic Online and not Arena anymore. And... Oh, the hand smoother is definitely something I, I hadn't even considered. You yeah. Can do, you can do best of three draft on, on Arena and it doesn't have the hand smoother, but at the same time, it's just really hard to like. It's like longer queue times, and it, I still think that my the quality of the people, the the the, the, the skill level of the people at the table with you is just not not high enough to really replicate anywhere close to the world's experience. Yeah, I'm not sure the if you if you compare the the B01 at you know pretty high rank, even not not necessarily mythic, but I don't I'm not sure there's that big of a skill difference between. Arena and Magic Online, you know, people the, would... For people, for in-game, this is the thing, right? For in-game play, it, it definitely, it, I definitely agree with you. Like, it pairs you based on rank. People are high Mythic or you know, Mythic ranking limited on, on Arena are invested players, they're experienced players, and they're drafting well. But you never get po- put into pods based on rank. You get put into pods with people at any, at any random rank, just the first eight people essentially get thrown into a pod together and so it gets a bit weird and, and and again the same thing happens on magic online it's just whoever hits queue up but there are far less casual drafters on magic online these days 
than yeah. there are right now. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, you're just gonna win less at at, at the Pro Tour at Worlds, and you're gonna win in Magic Online. But yeah. it doesn't. It's that learning card at that, this point in time. I, yeah, I don't think it fundamentally changes that much. I just wonder if it skews people's perception of like kind of the depth or the power level of something like. Well, it can't really skew your perception of the power level of blue black, but it could might it might it might give you a false impression of the depth. If people, if 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 the general populace hasn't doesn't catch on that you know, common X is actually really crucial in this deck, and you just keep seeing it coming, uh, coming on the wheel. Yeah, I mean, if you're not sure, you can just just count the number of good cards you know, and and see if if it checks out with your impressions of the format. Yeah, that's actually a reasonable a reasonable way of checking the biases. Anything else that stood out to you in terms of kind of cool cards or like the things that have surprised you in terms of how they played out? I had good runs with a couple green on the human decks, a black green deck and a blue green deck. Rise up the ants in both. That card that's was really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. six six game three life. That that was the other one that makes a four four at common. You know, you talk about the self note guy. I didn't have any in my black green deck, but I had a couple in my blue green deck. Just you know, the black green was just removal and a bunch of flashback cards and good creatures. The blue green one was double rise up the ants. Some um, yeah, they, they didn't look like super great, but things went well. I also had a pretty busted vamp deck. I actually opened Florian twice, a red light vamp. That card's super great, and both times I, I kind of got there. I didn't get seven wins with both, just was one of them. And um, had mediocre experience with blue white, but I'm not sure I drafted it super well or the draft went well. And, Blue-red seemed a little weak. I felt like I drafted a decent blue-red deck and didn't feel super good in the games, but super, you know, super small sample. Seven drafts, meaning I didn't even get to draft one archetype one, uh, each archetype once. So, we, you know, I think I'm going to be playing some drafts on, on the stream to because uh, I don't feel like I'm giving much away when you have players like Benes and Numod and Kyle and, you know, all the other good drafters yeah. out there. Um, the channel Fireball guy, you know, Court of, I think it's called Court of Calls or Court of Calling. I don't know. There's a lot of. It's certainly, um, there's, there's a lot of really good limited content for free out there. And I, and it's hard to kind of, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that, that streaming, streaming draft content is anything other than like neutral in terms of kind of disadvantaging your teammates or whatever. Maybe if you learn something absolutely missing, some mystical magical secret, you might want to, might not broadcast it very loudly, but yeah, the chance of that happening are pretty, pretty, pretty negligible. I think it's just about yeah, learning I mean, cards and interactions yeah. at this point. The danger could be if I have, you know, strong, strong or favorite colors and stuff and people know that they might be able to like exploit it. But I don't know. I've been having fun, but as I always say, there's no there's no draft format that's not gonna be fun the first ten or twenty times you draft it. Drafting's just the best format, the most fun. So oh, yeah. so far so good. But it does I think I mean we'll see the whole like is blue black too good, is um the werewolf thing, you know, people have been saying that the red, red, the color red's really weak. But uh, I've heard about, I've heard that about white actually, and I haven't had very much success drafting white, so I, I'm going to assume that that's correct. Yeah. 
No, I think my, my plan is to play mostly standards and in, you know focus more on draft after we've submitted the deck list. We'll still have four days, three or four days. Of course, you want to do some limited prep, but you can always go hard. It's also only three rounds out of 10 and not in the top eight. So standards. Oh, it's only mass. three rounds, is it? I, I thought it was like we'll draft on one day, draft on the next day. No, it's, it's three rounds out of 10. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's not that big of a, not, not that significant of a chunk. Oh, at least they're giving you a limit of a high level event. Yeah. No, it's cool. It's exciting playing a new format. There's been so much fun playing the new standard, actually getting to think about a new format that's not been played a thousand times. It's, yeah, it's like say. night and day, your motivation. Yeah. It must be an absolute. <laughs> It's a breath of fresh air, but only for four of you or whatever, or for 16 <laughs> people in the world. It's, it's only interesting. Well, there's still, you know, there's still like a lot of people I can join the new standard. There, there was, there's some online tournaments and maybe there's also the little like, I don't know how people go about it, but I'm sure for some people they're like, know that world's coming up and it's standard and maybe they can, they can solve the format before worlds or break it or see if they were right or all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, it definitely feels like this is a tournament I'm most interested in for a very long time. And it's, you know, amazing. Who would have thought that, you know, a, a fresh constructive format that's barely been explored, being played by professional players, would be an interesting spectacle for people who are investing in, in, in construct competitive magic. Yeah, but, there's, um, yeah there, there's probably not many players who have the time or the motivation or the reasons to play it necessarily a ton of standard right now, but if you're one of these person, it can be a good good shot. You know, if you're championing a deck and championing a deck and tuning a deck and it ends up being the best deck or deck that does the best at worlds and stuff, that's kind of you know a big deal. Have your kind of stamp on it. So I feel like it's you know it can be an exciting time even for players yeah. who don't necessarily have big tournaments. Yeah. Also, I mean, if you break it, it's gonna be exciting to me when I bring my DMs. Make, make, make sure you slide into my DMs. Well, if, you got, if you if you got the busted deck, yeah, yeah. If you if you break it, that's my right. DMs are always open. I'll send, I'll send you a little brew with a, a Seeker's Chariot. I, I'm not sure if you've heard of that card. And and know you're you're terrible. And I don't want to say, I say you're terrible. Esper list does not qualify as breaking it. My, my specific terrible list? No, that been, I don't know. People have been hitting me up with these escalates and they don't look. I don't know. Maybe this first one. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, was, it was more like kind of a joke. <laughs> That's all right. I was going to say, I, I don't think I sent you any escalates. I sent you some terrible decks, but <laughs> I definitely burnt through like 20 of Raph's wild cards. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've just been enjoying drafting a new format again and uh, playing a bit of Arena, actually. just It's been a, a nice change of pace. Like, Modern Horizons 2 came out, and I just played so much Modern, and it's been so awesome. I've been, you know, it, I've been loving that format, but after, like, you know, ten, eight or ten weeks of that, I've kind of needed a bit of a, a sea change and having this new set come out and, it, you know, a big standard rotation. And, yeah, it's just been really great playing, playing Magic again and... Just playing, playing, playing novel formats. I guess it's part of the joy of Magic, right? It's like it's always changing and, and always new stuff coming along. And the last couple of years haven't felt like that's happened. And so, yeah, now we forgot, forgot what it was like, right? Jeff exactly. Had, yeah. Jeff had like almost five thousand viewers 
this weekend for his 100-person turn that he runs from his basement. I mean, he did go up to, I think, 15 or 17, but I was, because he was on the front page of, of, or front page of Twitch. But even without all that, I think he was around four or 5,000, which is, you know, what some of the MPL weekends have gotten. Oh, that's, so. more, that's more than some of the MPL weekends had been getting. No, it was like over five. It was, it, you know, it was 10 PL casts. was usually barely beating out croquis. That's true. <laughs> you, you were beating him, though. <laughs> Just reminding him that he's not a part of the NPL. Yeah. So, yeah. do you, I don't know if you want to play Prices Riot without Harry here. Um,. No, let's just put our life on the line, I guess. Yeah, I'd be happy to put my life on the line right now. So, I, we'll just do standard, right? Just whatever new deck you bring to Worlds? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. All right, all so right. I'll, all right I'm, I'm going to do the life on the line intro. Okay, so for those of you who are new here, life on the line is a theoretical tournament. It's happening tomorrow, and we have to choose decks for that, and the uh, the stakes are... That if you win the tournament, you get to live, and if you lose, well, you die. So we're gonna we you know we generally just bring a deck from any format that we've been talking about. So uh, we've talked primarily about modern today, so we'll just talk about modern. Gab, what modern deck are you gonna bring to bring to our, our theoretical tournament? I actually wasn't ready for it. I would go with my life was actually online. Maybe maybe elementals actually. Right. I was okay. going to put my, 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 life, my life in the hands of Canister, I think. Very good. Well, I, I would play Blue, Blue Red Murktide. I think uh, that's the answer I've been giving for a very long time. It's a deck I have the most preparation with, but specific choices I would I would make. I would play the Force of Negations build. I think that, deck, that card's it's good. It covers a lot of uh, blind spots that the deck has if you try and build it too much of a mid-range slant. And I would just be honest about my chances of beating decks like Living End and have extra extra cards for that deck. Uh, I think Torpor would be mandatory. I think Alpine Moon's fine. I think I could probably skimp on Blood Moons. And yeah, so just access to some, some, some tools against Cascade and some tools against Elementals. And then just be like Force of Negation, Blue Red, Murktide. That's what I'm choosing for this tournament. Sounds good. Well, as usual. If you've made it this far in the episode, thank you so much. Um, we love you. Yeah, we love you. Yeah. Uh, Gab, where can you're, we find you on Instagram? You're a legend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we can, you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash yellowhats, on Twitter, Twitter at Gambasif, and hopefully uh, winning, winning the World uh, Magic World Championships in a couple of weeks. What about you, Pat? Uh, you can find me anywhere on the internet as HarryMPG. And I've got nothing else, nothing else to go with that. Clicking, like <laughs> it's been a pl- on it's, YouTube. It's been a, it's been a. Oh yeah, yeah. I have, I've been, yeah, I've been thrashing the YouTube, gonna like, you know, trying to get the likes, clickbait, etc. No, I, I really, I really miss Harry's energy. I hope he comes back for next week. Oh yeah, next week is our hundredth episode, by the way, the centenary. No, no pressure. Uh, no pressure whatsoever. At least all three of us have to turn up. I think that's the, 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 the bare minimum. What are we even gonna do? I'm, I'm so bad at I, I, I'm bad at anniversaries. I'm bad at remembering stuff. I, yeah. I can make a cake. I, I could eat some cake on the. That would be cool. On the stream, yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe we could all just oh, like well, be well, on cam and all have cake and just eat cake, and that's well, it. That's the only thing we do. 
Mudbang podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, again, if you made it this far in the episode, thanks for listening. We love you, and we'll catch you next time. Take care, everyone. Peace.